Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Stimming and Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. So I am always excited about the guests we bring on because, you know, I, I really enjoy them. Um, I enjoy hearing their stories and um, getting to know them a little bit better. And today's guest is no different. So please, everyone, please join me in welcoming Dr. Lauren Quigley to the show. Man, listen, her story is amazing. Um, as usual, and I can't wait to hear it, to talk to her about it, and to get you um, some, get you guys some good advice. So first, let's welcome Dr. Quigley to the show. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm glad to be here. Oh man, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a day, uh, but I'm I am <laughs> right as well. <laughs> Um, but I'm getting through it, and uh, that's that's ninety uh, percent of of the the win, right? Exactly. So as as we do with with every guest, um, the first thing I ask them to tell me is to tell me their STEM story. So, Dr. Quigley, tell me your STEM story. Sure. So, um, I guess my STEM story really starts with. Um, my K-12 education. Mm -hmm. I was actually homeschooled for a while. And that really gave me the chance to spend time focusing on the things I cared about and I was interested in, which was science. So, you know, I spent more time doing more experiments and activities, um, you know, and, and really exploring just broad science domain altogether. And, um, you know, I was interested in computing, you know, just just kind of like a, a passing thing. Like, you know, I would use our computer at home and that sort of thing as a kid. Right. But um, really, when I was in high school, I was back to regular public school and uh, took my first chemistry class. Really, really enjoyed it. Took AP chemistry. And early on, like that senior year was like, chem chemistry is going to be my thing. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do science. You know, I love writing. I wanted to be a writer before <laughs> um, and just kind of fell in love with the idea of doing science altogether. Um, I did my undergraduate at Spelman College mm -hmm. and really I, I intended to be a chemistry major, like I said, and I got my butt kicked in that AP chemistry class in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time senior year ended, I was like, this isn't happening. <laughs> what else am I going to do? And um, I meandered around a little bit, but made my way to physics. And physics was kind of like, I, I kind of joke about it. It was my last chance at a STEM major that I wanted <laughs> to do. But the reason was because I really needed the physical world to understand the math and bring everything together. Mm -hmm. And it worked for me. So um, from there, I started doing um, education research in physics. I did a master's degree in optical engineering, and I did my PhD in engineering education. And all throughout, really learning about how people learn, how they understand um, technical and scientific content and material, and contributing to the world of STEM education in lots of different areas and places. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I have, my mind is going. All right, so let's go back to the to physics because I, I mean, truth truth moment, transparency moment for me is um, physics was the science that made the most sense to me. Um, chemistry, I struggled in. Um, biology, I got and understood. Um, I actually thought biology was fun, but physics just made sense. You know, when we were talking, when when we started talking about uh, speed, acceleration, those kinds of things, like in the math portions of the program, that made sense to me. And so it's just sort of wondering is like, was that your experience with it? 
Oh, same thing. So I knew I didn't want to do biology because um, I don't really, the, the blood and guts part was not <laughs> to me at all. My sister is a physician. That is her jam. Like, you know, I'm like, girl, take that on it. It's yours. <laughs> and then, but also for me, biology, like the memorization was not clicking for me. I can't memorize like that. So it just wasn't clicking for me. Chemistry, I liked it, but I didn't understand it because I couldn't see it. So yeah. very much the same thing. Like I can see speed, I can see velocity, velocity. Mm-hmm. I can see all these diagrams, you know, and I can model what, you know, I can model concepts and then match the math with it. So then it all made sense for me. So yeah, same thing. But yeah, biology was not mm, <laughs> not so, the jam for me. I, no, I told trust. I get, and there's a lot to memorize in biology and in chemistry. Yes, it's rather abstract. It's almost and see for me. I'm a person who ha, who can, you know, put put the have the image like I can read the words on the page and, and then formulate the image in my mind. Like I don't need a screen. I have my own movie screen and I can do all that. Um, but chemistry was hard. It was hard to to get that picture in, in the mind to do it. So mm-hmm. I totally understand that. Do have a question. I have a couple of more questions um, based on your story. Um, so homeschool. So talk to me about this. Um, and, th- and here's why I, I asked this question, because, I mean, I think homeschooling is now becoming more popular in uh, minority communities, but it didn't used to be a thing. And, um, and now, and now it is. So talk to me about homeschool. Yeah. So, um, my dad was actually a teacher and, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm from Patterson, New Jersey. So, um, I know, you know, we, we can remember the movie lean on me. My dad was actually going to be teaching at Eastside high school. Okay. Not my kids. Um, (laughs) My dad dad was an art major, um, in college, but he, he taught math. I mean, yeah, he could do math, but you really don't need an art major teaching people math mm-hmm. and being the basketball coach and teaching art class. Like he did a lot of different things. And um, when he was, he primarily taught middle school and, um, you know, just kind of like his firsthand view and experience of what was happening in, in our school system. He was just like, I don't want my kids to have to, you know, I don't want them to have to go here. I want to think about what other options we have, what options we can come up with. And my mom was definitely of the same mind with that. And um, I have two younger sisters. So me and um, my next youngest sister, we went to private school for a while. And it was just really expensive. And then also like going to um, the school that we went to, you had some serious, um, seriously present race issues that were not being discussed. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, and I remember even when I was in the, in that school, understanding the difference between how I was as a little black girl was being treated, how my classmate, um, I only had one other black classmate from kindergarten until second grade. Um, and Wesley was always treated differently than me. And we were treated differently than everybody else. Wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, in addition to like that, and then like the affordability factor, it really led my my parents to say, look, it's it's worth looking at this homeschool option because, you know, the where we lived, the public school option just wasn't serving our needs. Yeah. So that was why we did it. And it worked pretty well. You know, um, I got a PhD. My <laughs> is a physician. She's an MD. And my youngest sister is um, is like an accountant economy person. So it's just like, you know, and we, you know, you have all three of us graduated from college, um, doing well professionally. So when you have the opportunity and my parents really, you know, they, there were sacrifices totally made for that to right. happen. Right. But if you can, and you know, that the district can't serve your, your family and your family's needs is why they did it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm trying to, I try to keep my, you know, keep my ear to the ground about what's happening. Um, I know that homeschool, homeschooling is, is on the uptick in, as it relates to um, black and brown communities for that exact same reason, because, you know, the local schools sometimes aren't, you know, they're not doing what we need them to do. Um, And it's, you know, it's more, 
it is about educating the kids, but it's also about educating the kids. Like there's that the the hidden curriculum that's really important. So when you're um, talking about your experience at the private school, I can totally relate to that as someone who, um, you know, we were the, or at least I can speak for myself and say we, my siblings and I were, you know, the only blacks in our classes for a while. Um, and then, then we can actually name them because we're still friends with them. The other black people that yep. came later. Um, and so I understand what that, what that experience is, is like, and then, then having people get really mad at you for pointing out the different treatments. Oh, you know, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. So what you're mad at me because I'm pointing out to you that you're treating me differently than you're treating this other person, mm-hmm. but you're not mad at the idea that there is different treatment. <laughs> right. I mean, and I think, you know, there were very direct, real ways that like some of that, you know, those different treatment practices came up. You know, my mom remembers, like, apparently I was interviewed at school about, you know, do we have a washer and dryer in our house? Does my dad come home every day? Like they were on the deep end with it. So, you know, these are like, and it's like, these are harmful places. Like even when I was in um, second grade, I got sick and the teacher apparently decided that I only need to be inside for recess one one day, even though the note was like, she needs to be inside for the week. Mm-hmm. I ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. Like these are like, you know, we're talking about like very real serious complications, like to life, health and safety and psychological health and safety that were not being attended to at all. So it's not just like, you know, educating, but it's also like, you know, forming a human being who's going to function in a world that you know, is, it's important that we have to, when we think about education, not just as like, you know, the book stuff, but is the nurturing stuff too. And mm-hmm. it's not to take away from parents' responsibility and role in nurturing their children, because I was and am still very nurtured by my parents, but they couldn't, there was still a responsibility of that school to take care of me and they weren't yeah. doing that. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, and I think this is, this is kind of sort of part of the, the the debate that's happening now with schools. It's like, yes, we can, um, you know, we can talk about the, the kids educationally, but there's a lot that goes into being a teacher, to running a school, to being in a school building. And when we talk about the hidden curriculum, um, we are talking about the other stuff. We're talking about, you know, what happens in the hallway, the words that are said by a teacher maybe in passing, right? Or maybe they don't think that it's offensive, this thing that they've just popped off the top of their head and said, um, but now you, the student is, you know, you are affected and you're the one who has to deal with those issues, right? And so all of those things occurred, like your interactions with the school nurse, if you have one, the PE teacher, like those things, they really, they can affect you in so many different ways that, um, I think people overlook like, oh, you know, everybody has those experiences. And I'm like, yeah, does that make them normal? <laughs> that, that doesn't make them think, right. They don't think, they're not things that are supposed to be happening. You're not supposed to, as an early elementary kid, realize that you're being treated differently and that there is a difference in how, you know, a boy who is of the same race is being treated in a room of all white kids. The fact that there really weren't a lot of, I don't think there were any um, elementary level, like Hispanic kids that we went to school with or Latinx families that were there. Mm-hmm. There were very few Asians. So like, you didn't even have like, you didn't, there wasn't even visibility to right. how diverse the world really is. And even if you went, again, you're kind of nurtured in these realistic, but positive and, and supportive value st- structures that has to be a part of like your, your growing up experience right. in school as well. So let me ask another question. When you transitioned to, when you went to high school um, and you were, you were at that high school and you were interested in science, what was that experience like? <laughs> um, I think it was also, um, it is an interesting one because I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I feel like I was too woke for my own good. Early. <laughs> 
Um, but I remember uh, the summer before classes started, I was, um, you know, I had to go meet with the science department head. Mm-hmm. And he was actually the physics teacher. I didn't take physics in high school, um, but he was the physics teacher. And we were talking and he was like asking me about my science interests because they were trying to decide what they wanted to do with my homeschool credits. Right. Mm, okay. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, I took biology, physical um, science and that sort of stuff, you know, but I was ready to move on to chemistry. I was excited about being in lab and all that stuff because you can do a lot of the other labs at home, <laughs> you know, safely. Mm-hmm. You can't necessarily do chemistry labs at home safely with all the right equipment and stuff like that. Um, and instead of like, you know, we had this very brief conversation about science and what I was interested in doing. And then we had this conversation about what like extracurricular stuff I wanted to do. And I wanted to be like, well, I don't, that's not what we're here about, <laughs> but you know, oh, wait, can I wait, please how did these two things go together? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think it's just, it's challenging because I think you go into these situations and you're, um, especially as a black woman, black, you know, growing up as a black girl in interested in science, at least then we didn't exactly have as much visibility that girls now have about black women in science and STEM broadly. So, you know, I didn't really know that I wanted to be an engineer until like senior year of high school because I didn't really know that many engineers. I didn't, you know, my dad was kind of like a technical technician guy, but um, in the work that he did after he was teaching, but I didn't know and didn't have as many available kind of um, resources, but I did have really great teachers in science when I did get there. Mr. Schwartz will always be kind of, for me, remembered as one of the people who had a huge impact on my interest in science. So, I think that's interesting. So, I mean, I always tell people my experience, um, you know, and I wouldn't tell people to choose their their college major the way I did, but I didn't even know what an engineer was um, until about my senior, maybe between my end of junior year, start of senior year, when I um, when I was um, in, I became a part of Inroads, um, and they taught, you know, they take us in there, and they're doing this whole, um, you know, here are the here are careers in engineering. Um, and I was like, what is, what is this? I think this might be it. Right. Right. And that's how I chose, literally, that's how I chose my major. Like they had a list of the, here are the different civil, electrical, um, mechanical, structural, you know, sort of went down the road. And I was like, hmm, they do, you know, they do the explanation of all of them and they get to mechanical. And I was like, yeah, that's my one right there. I don't think this is now, this is really not the way you need to choose your I mean, I I was kind of similar though. I mean, it it was for me, I picked my major and even where I decided to go to school because I didn't have to marry myself to a major Mm. and stick with it from the beginning. I went to a liberal arts school that had these options where I could study science. I had the option to study engineering and I didn't have to make that decision my first year. Like I feel like, especially a lot of, um, especially a lot of engineering schools right. in the U.S., students have to make that decision like when they're applying because yep. they got to get into the university, then they got to get into the College of Engineering. It's like you have 150 hoops to get through before you hit the classroom. Yeah. And then you go, and then hopefully you do well enough in the class that you can stay. <laughs> so. Well, I know that's, that's true. Um, I mean, I know getting, I chose that major and, and, uh, and, got into, you know, a whole, whole bunch of stuff, but, you know, a whole bunch of colleges. Um, but yes, I did have to declare, Hey, this, I want to be uh, a mechanical engineer. Um, before I really, really knew what that was, like really knew what that was. So, um, you know, I, and I think that there is a lot of merit in what you're saying about going back to sort of having this whole idea of like, not really having someone in front of you that looks like you who could talk to you about being a physicist or an engineer or chemist or, you know, any of these things. Um, I didn't, that wasn't what I saw, you know, I, a lot of, of course, you know, you have your teachers in front of you. Mm -hmm. People are telling you to be, of course, there's a doctor, nurse, lawyer, doctor, nurse, lawyer. I feel like I'm forgetting one that, you know, they're there. That's always in the mix. Um, And that was it. 
and, yeah. and, and then it was like these other things, like, what, you know, so, and then for me, like in my family, nobody's an engineer. Like still, I, I am the only one in my family. Um, so it wasn't a thing. Well, and I think, but I did have, I will say there's not other engineers in my family, but I had people around me who knew how to build things, who were handy. They, they exhibited like engineering practices Yeah, in their life, in their work and everything like that, but they weren't necessarily engineers formally. And, you know, I think also like, you know, we have like the examples of like Mae Jameson and Ron McNair. Like I knew who they were since I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old. Like, you know who these people are, but like, it wasn't totally clear. How do you get to be one of those people? Mm, And I think, yeah. And I think I knew maybe, I don't even know what his background was, but this, um, you know, member of our community, he he was retired from the air force Mm -hmm. and he was some kind of STEM person, but I didn't really know. Um, and it wasn't, it, it, you know, I had a lot of support in nurturing, even if it wasn't necessary and nurturing my interests, even if it wasn't something that everyone or a lot of people could help me implement. Right. So then when you got, so you took the, you took the, the chemistry class and it, you know, it kicked you in the butt. I made it. I did. Okay. (laughs) You know, but I was like, I don't think this is what I want to do because it was, it wasn't because it was hard. It was because like, I didn't get it. Like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that, you know, kind of like concept map and diagram in my mind that made it make sense. Right. So, so then you went and so, so you went to physics Mm -hmm. and then, so that was great. But then what made you go and get your master's degree? So So bad economy um, and a lifestyle plan. (laughs) (laughs) I can be honest about it. Totally unexpected answer, I tell you. (laughs) I mean, but, and it's real. Like, you know, sometimes we can all have the best laid plans. Like, you know, I had planned for exactly what I wanted things to look like. um, And they didn't work out that way. So, you know, life circumstances and then like graduating undergrad in a bad economy, you know, I didn't have a, it wasn't like, you know, we were always kind of told you're going to get this awesome, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year job when you graduate. Well, that job wasn't there, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, especially like even the places that I'd interned in college, they didn't hire anybody new because they were downsizing as it was at the time. So Um, I didn't really have a plan, but I had a friend who was a year ahead of me and she had gone to Norfolk State University and I was, you know, we're just kind of talking on the phone or whatever. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. She's like, look, go, go reach out to NSU, talk to the, this person, this person, this person, and see if they can admit you. And this is like in May or June. Oh, okay. (laughs) And it worked out. So that August I was there in a fully funded master's degree program in optical engineering. Um, and, and I felt really lucky to be in, in graduate school period. I didn't have my GR, hadn't taken my GRE, like, you know, again, didn't really have a whole lot of a plan. And, um, when I got there, I really wanted to kind of, you know, prove to myself and, and really prove to myself that, you know, I was, I could be an engineer. Right. So I really like, you know, dove in, when it came to classwork and my assistantship and, and it really helped me to kind of um, develop confidence and also see myself as an engineer really for the first time. Okay. So a couple questions. One is tell, tell the listeners um, what an, an opt an optical engineer does. Haha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then to sort of like help people understand what the engineering mindset is um just so that yeah because I think that's interesting yeah so optical engineering is actually like kind of like a a really multidisciplinary interdisciplinary field into itself so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of physics involved because we're dealing with light and lasers and that sort of thing there's a bit of material science involved because of the lasers Mm -hmm. you have um you know, electrical engineering in there. So you really have this multidisciplinary area, but the key things around optical engineering are, um, you know, and and products that people can think about are lasers from the laser that you use to scan your things at the grocery store 
Um, you know, we all have fiber internet in our house. Mm-hmm. Opt- that's optical engineering. Um, and really a lot of, um, a good portion of our modern technologies, both products and, and the services that we use are built from optical engineering. So think about light and think about the use of light and the use of power and the use of energy harnessed to do a specific thing. Oof. I love that definition. I just, it's beautiful. <laughs> that's from, from a, from a, uh, an engineer to an engineer. Um, I just think that's beautiful. And I think it's, it's so indicative of like the possibilities within STEM um, and just how these, these, those areas that you talked about so just eloquently um just hones in and builds the idea that you don't necess- you don't it, all of those interests can come together in a career um where you can you can indulge in in all of them yeah i mean when i think about engineering though and like kind of like that engineering mindset it is about science applied mm-hmm. it's about using our knowledge of science using technology using math to build a thing to make a thing to improve a thing. And it's about process. Um, and it is about the products that we, we um, interact with every day. So, and that's the part I think is really cool about engineering and the engineering mindset is that you do have this opportunity to build the skills so that you have the process to develop almost anything. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is maybe learn some additional things and you keep learning, you learn throughout your entire career, your life. And you'll always be an engineer who's employed. For sure. <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, I have to agree with that. Um, so for me, engineering, I've kind of morphed it now that, you know, since I'm doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, the idea around, though, that it's applied, applied science, applied design, right? You basically build things, you tweak them, you learn from it, um, which is the engineering design process. Um, it's, you know, and this can, and I tell people this all the time, it can be applied across so many different disciplines in almost anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you guys can see her smiling right now. (laughs) Well, I mean, so like, but that like kind of is how I ended up in engineering education. Cause people are always like, well, what the heck does that mean? I understand engineering. I understand education, but not together in a discipline because like that's a weird thing too like Mm. you know we just talked about optical engineering engineering education is kind of a new um formal field but really if you think about using that engineering mindset and process in the domain knowledge Mm. how do we improve the education process system you know just you know we talk about educational systems that's a great system systems engineering problem right there because you have lots of inputs you have lots of desired outputs you have multiple processes and stages and checkpoints all throughout and you know i i believe in the in a humble way that engineers are able to solve a lot of problems we can't solve every problem but we are right. able to solve a lot of problems because we have a structured process to understand, collect and analyze data and make some recommendations for results. And, you know, engineering education is in part, you know, we we do a lot of our research and work is not just like, you know, on educational systems, mm-hmm. but understanding who the engineers are. How do we help people develop these skills and, you know, perspectives so that they can build other things because, We don't know what the next, you know, 20 to 30 years of technology is going to bring us. But if we teach people the science, the math, and the skills and the process, Mm -hmm. they can determine what that's going to be in the next generation, which is super cool. So how do we do that in a smart way is what I would say engineering education is. See. I'm going to say this and my husband will probably freak out after he hears this episode because you're making me want to go back to school. Girl, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because it's so, so my, um, my doctorate is in educational leadership because the whole idea, because when I was, when I was a teacher, 
teaching engineering, teaching math, teaching, teaching some physics courses, you know, all of them like that. It, and being in the school system itself, it was just like, I don't, there was this incongruence that was happening there to me as someone who was coming from industry into education. I would get in trouble all the time asking questions like, is the, what is the purpose of school? <laughs> like, what, why are we here teaching these kids these things? Like, is the, is the idea that we are, are we preparing them for college? Is that what we're doing? Are we preparing them for the workplace? What, what are these skills that we're, we're attempting to give to them? Right. And they just be like, oh, you know, basically, ah, shut up and teach. Right. And I'd be like, well, I need to know what the purpose is, like what the reason is, because that that informs what I do. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, and a lot of us, um, you know, in my engineering ed program, we had to take classes over in the School of Education, too, which mm-hmm. were highly formative for the way that I think about education in general. Um, and then, like, we also have some of these engineering education specific processes that are more about around research, but like, mm-hmm. you know, research and assessment. How do we build an ABED assessment? How do we, you know, prove that people have actually learned something that, you know, we can say when these students graduate from this engineering program that they have the skills to build a bridge that's not going to fall down. <laughs> right. you know? How can we say that? And here's all the evidence that we are using to be, to be able to develop that. Or again, like on the research sides, so like I researched identity trajectories and how do people get into these weird technology fields like optical engineering, which was the subject area that I was in. So like, you know, what makes somebody pick a major that doesn't even you know, it's not even on the list of normal engineering science majors, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and even in my professional work, I work now in artificial intelligence and data science. I didn't take any classes in AI or data science, but I've, you know, developed these skills. And also like I'm using that research identity trajectory kind of lens of how do we create opportunities for people to get to this new emerging field that is becoming pervasive in our lives. So that's why it's like, I feel like if we do the right things at the, you know, kind of like the categorical and the systemic systemic level around education and STEM education broadly, we can prepare that next generation to build the next, the next great thing. Right. And not know exactly what it is. Ooh, that's good stuff. That's (laughs) Like, I feel like I could just, I could, I'm done for the day. Okay. I'm finished. <laughs> that I mean, was like all we were, so we started out kind of, you know, on the, de- on the down climb for the day, but I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I just, cause I love that. I just, so, and it, and it actually, I think I, I understand how you ended up in, well, not, you know, not necessarily the steps, but like, I could, I could see the correlation between you doing AI and data science because those two areas Okay, first, you know, for those people who, I mean, data science is huge. It's the thing, you know, well, in some quarters, it's the thing that people are talking about. Like we can talk about, you know, all sorts of like all of the crazy hacking and security stuff happening that has, you know, huge data science consequences. And we could talk about all of the weirdness that surrounds AI right now. Um, But I could see how your trajectory could lead you to data science and artificial intelligence. I mean, both of them, both of them are about processes and design um, and sort of almost what happens on the other end, like the end result of them. Um, Like I have, so I, I just, so earlier it's 2021, right? In 2020, at the beginning of the year, I decided I was going to go and get a certificate in data science. Cause I was like, I'm really interested. I hear, you know, it's like, I hear a lot about it. I don't, I know just enough to, you know, it's like, I know, I know a little bit about Python and you know Java and blah, blah, blah. And sort of like how to collect the data, but like not necessarily the mindset behind it. So I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to get this certificate girl. I well, was not prepared. <laughs> 
but again, I think like, so one of the things that I've really in the last like five years in the tech industry is like, we have this, you know, everyone needs to learn a little bit of something if you're technical around data science, right? Uh, maybe a little bit about AI. Mm-hmm. And how do we offer these like upskilling programs that don't require you to go back to get a whole real, you know, like university based certificate, but can you get on an online platform? learn what you need to learn in a compressed amount of time to, you know, know enough to be dangerous. And, and that's a really good thing because, you know, one of the things that's super cool. And I think that how we think about education in the, again, like the next few years is going to be continually democratized. Like, and that's like kind of the big phrase around data science and AI is that they're democratized. You don't have to go to a university to learn about them. Right. And you can, you know, hop on the internet, you know, learn enough skills to be able to create your own model and apply an algorithm to a data set that you have. Right. right. And, and that's really cool. And that's unlike other areas of STEM too, which I think is really important, especially when we think about, you know, kind of those cultural and social things that we all care about too. So like, how do we think about like social justice issues? And if we want to solve those social justice issues, whether it's with technology or, you know, identify them with technology, we need to have people that understand both of those together, both the technology and the issue to be able to, to make a change that impacts people. Again, like that's a drop the mic moment right there. Like, cause I don't think people are thinking about any type of social justice issue, any kind of education issue or, or them, those two issues combined, because I think education is a social justice issue. I mean, if we're completely, completely honest, it is. Um, but I don't think people are thinking about how you can use or how data science and AI can inform them, can inform decisions, can collect data to help support issues or debunk issues or, or you know, or the, the mm-hmm. issues of the day. So I think that is entirely brilliant. <laughs> I mean, there are like, and I think the thing is too, is like we are, because we're all using these different media platforms and we walk around with technology on our phone that knows our position in the world down to like a part of the block. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one, we should know about the technologies that we're using and how we, we contribute data to those systems. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, this past year, especially, there's been lots of conversation around AI technologies like fac- facial recognition. Yep. And now everybody knows, oh, yeah, facial recognition is bad because it doesn't work for, you know, black faces. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't because because our skin, because the training data really doesn't represent us because we're not represented in the process of developing these systems. So the, it's so, almost like saying the data, the data set was wrong from the beginning. Always. You can train, you know, like you have like on your iPhone, like your facial recognition. It's like a, it's a small local AI. It's going to know your face versus another face, but that's it. And you know how sometimes maybe in the morning it might not work because, you know, your eyes kind of, you know, (laughs) whatever, something like that. But those are small, um, you know, AI systems, the massive ones. That's where we have these these questions and issues. And that's where, you know, like for me, I'm really thinking a lot more now. And I really am trying to formulate how I'm going to write this paper about how we think about STEM as as a vehicle of social justice. So how do we think about process as an process, product and knowledge for social justice ends and not necessarily for, you know, our we want cool technology Right. Or just to like explore technology because it's cool, because especially for people of color, we have some real immediate issues that we need to solve before we can worry about all this other stuff. So what if we repositioned, you know, the pursuit of STEM as a process to understand and address social inequities? So that's my next big thing to figure out (laughs) and write write something smart about. (laughs) I need you to be on, uh, you need a show. (laughs) I mean, I need to write this paper. (laughs) Well, yes. Write this paper, um, get it funded, um, get it to the masses. um, Cause I think that that is, yes. I mean, I, I can see the ways that we could use STEM a 
in, in a multitude of different ways. But like, if I'm thinking about like sort of where I fall in the line of this is because, you know, I always tell people, I'm, I always think of myself as a triple E. So, you know, engineer, educator, entrepreneur. So it's almost, I'm in this, I'm in a, and I've had my hands in all of those areas. So I, like, I understand all of those pieces. And so it's like, but my heart of hearts and, um, you know, my, my, I beat for, um, you know, I beat for black and brown folks. Right. And mainly, and, and specifically, um, women and girls, because that's me, that's my story. So I think, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, my mind's going so fast, but my, my brain is saying yes to this. Yes. To the idea that we could, you know, that STEM is, is a catalyst or STEM or using STEM as a vehicle to, sort of drive and inform our community on a, in a multitude of different ways using data science, AI, and, and a, whatever else we can, we can do it because it's not, it, I was, I've always been um, of the mindset that this has never been like a, a skill issue for our, our folks. It's not a skill issue. It's not an interest issue. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, if I want to be like really, you know, I get I have to like Valentine's say because sometimes I get people like nervous, but like it's a power issue. Mm, yes, it, it it's a power issue. We haven't ever lacked interest, knowledge, or any of that. We've been barred from access, and even those of us that have had the access, we've been barred from power and an opportunity to actually restructure these systems to meet our ends. So it's kind of like, you know, the social parallel of listen to black women. Mm-hmm. What if we built our own, like what if black women built and the way that we look at the world, the things that we think about are the undercurrent for technology, you know, like it's, it's like, can we make Wakanda real? You know, um, I, I actually think we could if we, I mean, it's going to take concerted effort um, and dedicated, dedicated work. Um, but I actually think we could. Um, Cause again, it's, it's not, it's not a skill issue. It's not even part. It's partially a will issue, but like, it's a will issue for me anyway, the way I'm looking at it, because how much are you willing to, I mean, and I think like, especially for those of us that are working, how much are you willing to um, be, to be the only one? How mm. much are you willing to, how much, and I mean, really, how much can you take? Like, I think that's my question is like, you know, how much do you expect me to take? Yeah. You know, if you're kind of going through this process, like I like uh, recently, especially like the past few weeks for National Engineers Week, mm-hmm. um, folks were posting, you know, STEM is hard for everybody. But I did this and it's just like, but does STEM have to be hard for everybody? <laughs> and is it equally hard for everybody? <laughs> you know, like, let's talk about that. You know, I think it's really important. Like, you know, yeah, we, you know, we've done the thing and we've gone all the way up to the top and got, you know, got our PhDs, got our doctorates. And it's just like, but, you know, yes, it's hard, but does it need to be hard? Right. And then, well, the other question for me is who made it hard, right? Like what what is, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? Because there was, I mean, I'll tell you, I think for the most part, like I enjoyed the majority of my classes, there were a few, I was like, if I never see that class again, I'll, it'll be great. Everybody. Right. Um, like kid, kid, kinematics hated it. Hate it. And I had to take two of them. And if I never see that class again, I, I won't miss it. Um, but, but, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my thermo classes. I, I enjoyed, um, the heck I enjoyed, um, you know, all of my physics classes. I enjoyed my engineering courses. I just, I just did. I just, you know, so I think, I think that's right. I think we have, we have bought into the stereotype that engineering or STEM is hard. Um, and so when we have stories about that perpetuate that, um, and I'll be honest and, you know, it's like, I, you know, cause some things, some things were, were hard, but yeah. now I think back on it 
I think I, yeah, I think I, you know, I've, I've helped to perpetuate that notion that it can be hard. Um, but you have me really rethinking how to, you know, phrase that. Cause again, there were some classes that were hard for me. Um, and there's, and to take nothing from that, they were hard for me. Um, and that's fine. But the journey itself, um, like as in the actual classes, not necessarily the other stuff, because the other stuff were, um, that was harder. Yeah. And I, I think the thing is too, is that we can't separate the other stuff from it, Mm -hmm. um, entirely. Um, the content is not simple. I will say that it can be difficult and it's hard to learn sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that how STEM is hard is more so like culturally influenced and that's a gatekeeping activity. Mm. So that's where that power thing comes in. Because again, if you are a gatekeeper and you're telling people at the beginning of the semester, look to your left, look to your right, you know, right. You are setting people up for this, you know, and, and telling them that they don't have what it takes. So you've already placed this deficit perspective onto learners because you need to maintain power to be that, that one professor who's teaching until they're 90 something years old because right. and you should have been gone. Right. <laughs> so how can we like have a more asset and positive? I mean, I, I just want us to have a more asset-based and positive perspective on how we talk about STEM and how we think about the possibilities. Because, you know, if we want to get down to it, we can look at a K-12 system that doesn't prepare people for college or to be engineers or scientists. We can look at all of the gatekeeping behaviors. We can look at the hazing within Mm -hmm. engineering and STEM culture. All of these things are a part of what makes it hard. Yeah. It's not, it's not just that the material is difficult (laughs) or that it's complex because the world is complex. Well, true, true. That's, that is all true. And, you know, I'm trying to, in my mind, when we were talking about it earlier, though, it's like. I think it's helpful to me for me to to do, or at least in my mind, to do the separation because there is for some people, it'll it'll be that experience, right? Well, oh, the whole yeah. thing we've been talking about, that hidden curriculum, even in college, right? That you know, right. the hazing you were talking about, the you know, overcoming deficit thinking, which is sort of placed upon you your first day there. Right. Um, and even even the whole conversation that you know, some of us had to have or I say had to have that we had um, mm-hmm. with people who, who had, you know, were under the assumption that affirmative action were the only reason that we made it into a college yeah. or we made it into a class. Um, and yeah. so, and so having that, you know, and they'll flat, you know, flat, some will just flat out say to you, you're only here because you're black or you're only here because you're a minority or you're only here because you're a woman. And so yeah. pl- it's well, like, we planning. don't know how to deal with you because of those things. Right. We don't know what to say in all of that stuff. So you're walking into classrooms with this thought, you know, like you don't even know how to be. And so dealing with that along with the classes, um, which can be hard. So yeah, they're hard. I mean, <laughs> And yeah. No one ever said that differential equations was easy. It might be like, you know, sometimes something works for you, you get the right connections and it makes sense for you. And those are things that take time. Like you're not going to necessarily get it overnight. And I think it's, you know. Well, let's just establish that differential equations is altogether I mean, special. Listen, as someone who had many a C, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm there, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, I think, yeah, these are difficult topics and, you know, especially for, you know, you know, we share that education educator kind of role. We can do a really good job of making sure that those topics are easily understood that you're not just like, you know, come into class and, you know, the, you get the simple examples in class on the board and then nothing else, you know, <laughs> and then, then you get mollywop with the test. I mean... <laughs> Just bam and bam. Like you're just like dodging. <laughs> but how can we think about like, you know, if if we have really good teachers who know how to teach material, know how to deconstruct it and scaffold it so that people can learn it and access it, it makes it less hard. But yeah. that's work. Now that is that is work. And there are, you know, we already know that there's people who are, who are not gonna put it in. They're right. just they're just not gonna do it. 
Wow. I feel like we, I feel like there's a part two in here. Cause I mean, I'm loving it. This is, this has been awesome. <laughs> I'm, it, I'm, I'm with it. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to continue this conversation, but I do, I, we, we are going to have to put the, put this into a part two. Um, so what I do want to ask you though, is that our one last question, um, and for those people who are wanting to know more about Dr. Quigley, cause I know you're going to want to know more about her. Um, so we're going to put all her information in the show notes. Um, and so you'll, you'll be able to at least, you know, f- you know, figure out where she is and, and if she wants to talk to, you know, just <laughs> I, I occasionally hop on Twitters and, and she's Instagram. On, I'm not she's on, on the ground with it all the time, but you know. <laughs> um, but so we'll have our contact information so you'll be able to t- talk with her there. Um, but the last question that we generally ask people, and again, this won't be the last time you hear from her, um, because we're going to continue this part, this um, this conversation. Um, but I do want to ask you if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self. What is, what is, what is some, what is, what advice would you give her and why? I would tell her that I would remind her, not even tell her, I would remind her that she's smart and that she can do this and that it might not be easy, but it is worth it. Um, Because it's not been easy, but it has been worth it. And for me, like the, for me today, the worth it is seeing the impact. Yeah. Seeing, you know, I call it my STEM fairy godmother (laughs) of, you know, folks helping, helping see people fulfill their goals and their dreams. So yes, it's been challenging and that's fulfilling my dreams too. So it's just hang in there. Yeah. You can do this. (laughs) Oof. I love, I love. <laughs> so I do want to thank you for your time today. It This conversation means, it means, it just means the world to me. Um, I, <laughs> I'm just glad I, that we got to, you know, just talk. <laughs> yeah, we, we can, we made it happen. Um, and I'm really grateful um, that you took the time today to talk with me. And to um, get your voice out there to my audience, I know that they're going to love you. So um, as I say to to everyone, thank you guys for listening in. Um, Keep listening and share with a friend or two. Um, And if you know of a good um, guest, a good minority woman um, who wouldn't mind telling her story and giving advice to the next generation, send her my way. I'm always looking for a good guest. And until next time, you guys, See you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.